We are in a series called Back to School. And I know a lot of you maybe younger didn't like that thought, but it's like, that's where we landed with. We're going to go with it. And why, why that? Well, here's the thing. We love seeing Jesus in action. We love the miracles. We love his power over demons and nature. We love his compassion that he shows on people. There's all these kinds of actions. Like he's the action hero figure. You know, you wish you had as a kid, like G.I. Joe Kung Fu grip. Well, Jesus has got everything, right? But we never really, or I shouldn't say we never, but hardly, it seems like, do we ever really focus on his bigger messages? We learn so much by what he did, but what did he teach, like in the Sermon on the Mount? It's three chapters long. There's got to be some incredible stuff in there, right? So we're going to go through it. We're not going to hit everything, but we're going to hit and highlight a bunch of things here and there. And uh, today we are in, starting in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. So there's really going to be really two, I'll give you now a heads up, sort of two points in today's message. There's, there's two sections, um, but hopefully they, they come together. Let's start in verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus said. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of God. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now understand this, Jesus is, as he's preaching here, he's surrounded by all kinds of people, ordinary people like you and I, but then he has his disciples, and then he's got these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these scribes, And any time a teacher taught, a rabbi taught, first thing they want to know is, what do you believe about the prophets? What do you believe about the law? What did Moses, where do you stand on this? So it would be like today, if we had a guest speaker, and the guest speaker gets up and maybe is introduced. Dr. So-and-so, Professor So-and-so, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, Pastor So-and-so, and they start telling them, this is what maybe they've written a book. Maybe they've got a bunch of letters and initials after the name of PhD, whatever it may be. But you maybe get the first minute just hearing about the person that's going to talk. Oh, okay, they sound credentialed. They sound like they have the authority to teach. So Jesus, who gets there, you know, all these religious leaders are like, okay, he's going to preach a sermon. So he does what would have been normally done in that day. He sort of comes out and sort of makes a statement to help people understand where he's coming from. And he says about, I'm not here to abolish the law of Moses. I want to tell you by what authority I'm speaking today. So first and foremost, understand, I'm not here to oppose God's word. I'm not here to demolish, diminish, or or displace the word of God. I'm going to make some corrections, though, on maybe how some of the religious leaders have interpreted things. But he said, I came here to fulfill the word of God. And we look through Scripture and we can see how Jesus did that left and right all the time. Matthew chapter 4, he's he's being tempted by the devil. And what does Jesus do? He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes from the law three times. 
Another moment, he comes, actually comes out of that situation. He goes back to his hometown, walks into a synagogue. They hand him a scroll to read. He opens up the scroll. It happens to be Isaiah, Isaiah 61. Oh, in which he talks about him. Jesus is like, oh, closes up the scroll. And that's me. I'm here to do this. And they're like, what? That happened often. John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus and to ask the question, are you the one that the law has talked about, that the prophets have talked about, or should we expect somebody else? And Jesus quotes again from the book of Isaiah, I'm him. He used scripture to support his actions when he cleansed the temple, when he uh, submitted himself to the cross, and he told everybody that. While he was on the cross, from the book of Psalm chapter 22, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it says he said he was thirsty and they gave him a sponge with vinegar which fulfilled another psalm chapter 69 scripture three days later after the resurrection jesus is walking with two of his disciples down the road of emmaus as they're walking it says and he began with moses and went through the prophets for uh, telling them about his relationship through scripture that it is he jesus christ the son of god jesus took scripture and he says i'm here to fulfill it as he often shared. Look at verse 18. He says this, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail, not an iota, not a dot, as some translations record it, of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. He's saying this, the very words of Scripture are from God the Father, inspired by man. They're writing them down in these scrolls, but they are absolute. They are eternal. Material things pass away, but not God's Word. And he says the smallest detail that the, has been written in Hebrew, and he refers to, he says up on the screen, there, it says an iota or a, a jot or a dot or a tittle. You're like, what are those things? So basically this. In the Hebrew alphabet, the jot was like a comma, only you put it up above a letter. That was, the, that was the iota or the jot. Really small thing. The tittle was almost like the, the crossing on a T or maybe the tail of a Y. I mean, it's just, it's just one little added mark can make a difference, right? And Jesus is looking at this and he is saying, he's saying the smallest detail of the word matters. All scripture matters. Paul even said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. All of God's word matters. And Jesus has just come along here and he's saying, listen, I'm not going to exclude this portion of scripture or that portion of scripture. All scripture matters. Some people are like, I like the Old Testament. I really don't like the New Testament. Sorry, all scripture matters. Well, there are some things that maybe you get taught in the Bible that's a little hard to read or a little hard to understand. I don't know if I really want to read that. All Scripture matters. And Jesus is saying, this is all. This is all of it. I'm coming here to fulfill it all, and it all, it all matters. We're not going to exclude anything here. And so he's like, everybody's like, oh, okay. So he's here to fulfill the law. He, he believes it all, okay. But then he says this next thing. He says, unless your righteousness how you act, how you look, right, is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now all of a sudden you're like, whoa, okay, you're not here to, you're not here to abolish the law, you're going to fulfill it, but now, but now you're telling me all these religious leaders here, and I mean, they are religious. I got to be better than them? Is, is, is that what you're saying? I mean, I'm, I'm considering their devotion. And these Pharisees and Sadducees, I mean, boy, they, 
God gave us the law. These guys created another 600 plus laws and they're living them and I'm, how do I live up to all these things, right? Honorable. Understand this, modern Orthodox Jews today still keep a lot of these laws. Back in 1992 um, in, in Israel, three, um, uh, three apartments, uh, well, let me back up, one apartment caught on fire. And the tenants in that, in that apartment were like, oh boy, um, we need to call the fire department. Oh, but it's the Sabbath. Can we make a phone call on the Sabbath? Because I make a phone call on the Sabbath, that sends an electrical current, which is actually work taking place. So they went to the rabbi and said, should we call the fire department? Should we call for help? The rabbi waited 30 minutes trying to decide, am I going to break the Sabbath or will you break the Sabbath by calling? Hmm. 30 minutes later, he's like, yeah, you're going to break the Sabbath. Two, three apartments had already burned by that time. That, that's how serious they are about following the laws. Okay. Now, I believe Jesus was saying here, you know what? The religious leaders, they've got these incredible laws, high standards. You need to be above them. But here's, the th- I think what Jesus is saying is, it doesn't matter how high you go. It's never going to be good enough. It's not your works that get you into heaven. It's not following laws and rules that get you into heaven. All these added things on that these, these rulers came up. It's like, I want to show you how right I am with God by all these rules that I'm following. And Jesus is like, that doesn't get you into heaven. Even though he, he said it the way he did here, to do the right things, and don't get me wrong, church, doing right things is good, okay? He's like, well, Rex said that, you know, it doesn't, maybe I shouldn't do them. It's all about grace. Yeah, I get that. But we still do the right things because it's the right thing. We still do good things because they are good things. But human goodness is not good enough for God. We look at what we do and a lot of times we'll judge each other and pat each other on the back like, good job, way to go. Congratulations, you know, we're excited. And that's good, okay? But God looks at the heart and he says, you're doing good, but your heart isn't right with me. It's by grace you're saved, not works. Otherwise, you'd boast about it. You, you earned your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's by my grace and by my mercy that I'm, you're going to heaven. And Jesus knew the, re- the heart of these religious leaders. He's looking at these religious leaders and you're going, these guys are all about looking good and doing good things. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus calls them out. He's, he, I mean, they're right there with him. He goes, hey, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious laws and the Pharisees? You bunch of hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. I mean, you're beautiful on the outside, but you are filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. I mean, isn't that the way it works? I can be nice on the outside. I can make myself look really good. I can promote myself on social media. But listen, all that looks good, but it takes a spiritual transformation of the heart to really change things. That's something that only God can do. The Apostle Paul got that. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, small book, Halfway through the Old Testament. In Philippians chapter 3, starting um, in verse, I think I'm going to start in verse uh, 5. It says this. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church 
And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I mean, Paul's patting himself on the back pretty hard here, isn't he? Look at verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through, through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul lists these seven things about himself. He says, this is going to make me right with God. I mean, check out some of them. Um, four of them were inherited. Three that he basically were earned. First, he's a Jew. He mentions that earlier. But now he says, uh, which he's exposed into all the blessings of being a Jew and uh, the covenant, the promises God gave to the Jewish people. But then he mentions here, he goes, I'm a pure blood Jew, born of two Jewish parents. Third, I've been circumcised on the eighth day, which means I'm not a proselyte uh, or an Ishmaelite who was circumcised maybe in the 13th year. That was big, okay? Fourth thing is this, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That was the one tribe that remained with Judah in the south at the time of the civil war in Israel. Basically, that means he belonged to one of the two tribes that remained faithful to God in worship in the temple. So he's like, look at this. This is who I am. This is my heritage. I am a righteous person. This makes me right with God. Oh, but let me throw on a few things as well. He says, first of all, uh, my attitude towards the law, I'm a Pharisee. Which means one of the strictest sects of Judaism, to become a Pharisee, I means it's a matter of personal choice. And he goes, oh, and by the way, I'm a zealous uh, Pharisee, which means I'm, I've, I've killed Christians. I'm that passionate about doing the right thing. I'll kill Christians. I'll, kill, I'll persecute the church. I mean, this guy was like on fire as, as a Pharisee. And then he finally says, I've worked so hard, I consider myself blameless. I'm like, I'm practically perfect, people. And so he gets, he writes it's like this big list of things and he puts it under like, this is what makes me right with God. And then all of a sudden he's like, then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Remember that? He encounters Jesus. All these things that he listed, this makes me right with God. But then he meets Jesus. You know what he does with that list? Throws it over here and says, it doesn't matter anymore. Doesn't matter what I've done. It's what Jesus has done. And then, you know, the crazy thing is, he didn't just get rid of that list. Did you see what he called it? This is crazy. See, when you look at Scripture here, it says, I count it all as garbage. This is garbage. You know what that word for garbage is in Greek? Excretement, poop. That's what it is. It's used only one time in all the New Testament, all the Bible. That word is just once. And Paul says, this is what it is. When God looks at all my works, all my pat on the backs, all my, this will make me right with God. You know what it is? It needs to be flushed down the toilet. It's gross. It's filthy. That's, that's what he says. That's how serious Paul is about saying, this doesn't make you right with God. Jesus Christ, his grace, his mercy, that makes me right with God. Everything else, garbage. Different translations come out better, right? Garbage sounds much better than being in the Bible, right? But the difference between heaven and hell could be different, could be this human goodness, God's goodness. Human goodness will never get you into heaven. God's goodness is what gets us there. 
And we have to get to the point where our righteousness is based on the work of God, not our works, like these religious leaders. And Jesus is pointing that out with these religious leaders. So he establishes, I've come to fulfill the law. There's a difference between man's goodness and God's goodness. And these religious leaders here, they're doing really good on man's goodness, okay? And then he's going to move into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount where he's like, hey, you've heard it said, but here's what I'm going to say. Where did they get the you've heard it said from? From the religious leaders. From the guys who are like saying, you've got you to act like me and look like me. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, right? Here's what I'm going to say. Because what, you're going to, what we're going to discover here over the next couple of weeks is this. A lot of times as Christians, we're trying to look good. We're trying to do Christianity. And Jesus is going to say, well, you've heard it said, yeah, this is, this is what the way it looks. I like your hands and feet serving me, but I want your heart. You've heard it said, but here's what I'm going to say. So as we move into this next section, please understand where Jesus is going with this. He's, he's looking at the hearts of these religious leaders, and, and now he's going to sort of shift over and say, that's, that's man's goodness, but what about God's goodness? Look at this next scripture. Here he goes. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with somebody, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Okay, now this is where it's going to get a little ouchy for some of us. We're like, okay, here it comes. Grab onto my seat, right? I mean, people heard from the scribes, from the Pharisees, thou shalt not murder. We all know that. God told Moses that up on the mountain, right? When he said, right now, thou shalt not commit murder. So people knew. You know, you don't commit murder. You don't pull a knife out, stab somebody, see him bleed out, and they die. And you stand over them and think, is that wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. It's pretty plain, pretty clear. But here's the thing with what the Pharisees and the religious leaders did. They're like, if that guy was standing over that same body, but they survive, well, I get off scot-free because he didn't die. I mean, I'm not, I'm not guilty of anything. I, my heart's intent was to take him out, but he survived. Well, then you're okay. That doesn't sound right, does it? But the, the Pharisees and the scribes are like, well, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I can get right up to the edge, right? And, and get pretty close. I'm still okay as long as it doesn't happen. The teaching of, of, these, of these men was very dangerous. And Jesus exposes the essence of their heresy. It's like, because again, to them, it's just a matter of external performance. Did you see what I did or not do? That's how I am. Jesus brings it back to the matter of the heart. And understand this too. When you're looking at the scripture, we should emphasize Jesus is not saying that anger and murder are the same. He's not saying that, Okay. He emphasized that the law condemns both, but without saying that they're the same thing. And the laws of the people that they had back to the time, they only dealt with the act of murder. Jesus says, if you're my follower, I want to go to your heart. I want to talk about the morality of where did this all start that led to that. I want to, I want to get to this before it leads to that. And a lot of times in our life as Christians, we've already gotten to the act. We've done things we shouldn't do, but it's like, where did that start? That's why Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't do that. I want to start over here before we get there. I want to deal with your heart. 
before we get to that action. Jesus says, even if you call somebody an idiot or a fool, that's bad. That's not a good idea. Now, commentators have tried to translate this word, and they have a hard time. They're like nitwit, blockhead, bonehead, brainless idiot. They're, they're trying to come up with all these kind of names. But one, one commentator said this, you can't translate it because it's not so much about the word as it is the tone. Barclay says this, raka is an almost untranslatable word, that's the Greek word for idiot or fool, because it describes a tone of voice more than anything else. Its, its whole accent is the accent of contempt. It's the word one who despises another with arrogant contempt. They're like, what, you know, it's like Jesus saying, it's not so much that you just use that word, it's, it's what's behind that word. What's going on in your heart when you said it? I don't, I don't want you as a Christian doing that. If you're my, if you're my follower, and you're, you're just really ticked off at somebody and it just came out, I just want to let you know, I don't want you doing that. Oh boy, that's, that's tough, right? Because if I lose my temper, I call somebody a name, I harbor a grudge against somebody or I'm gossiping about somebody, I'm talking bad about them. It's like, wait, am I committing murder? Well, by definition, no. But Jesus says, that's what it leads to. I mean, you didn't actually pull out a knife, pull out a gun but you, you basically just name assassinated them. It's in your heart. And, and it gets ugly, right? It gets ugly when we start feeling certain ways about people. And, and here's what we need to do, church. We need to admit it. Instead of like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't say that. How about we just like, I said it. And I was wrong. And, and, and I need to admit it to God. Because Jesus, this is what Jesus is going to say here. Look at this next passage. He says, look at verse 23. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar at the temple, and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. I'm going to go back to that previous scripture. When I'm looking at this, I'm, what I'm reading here and what I'm seeing here and what I've studied here is that Jesus sees it far more important that we reconcile our relationships with one another more than you go out and have a religious duty. Coming to church is great. Being involved in the Bible study is awesome. Serving the Lord on a Wednesday night, yes. Giving money to the church or, or to a missions, way to go. But Jesus is like, before you do all that, you better get it right with your brother or your sister. If not, just, just leave right now. Go. We'll get it right with them. Yeah, it's good. It's so good to come to the temple and worship, right? But before you start worshiping God, you better make sure you got things right with people. These things are, are, are right, right? You know, we, we should do them. We should do church. We should do Bible study. We should do all these things. But God says those are worthless to me if your heart is not right. What did Paul say? Paul said, Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> He said this, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Are we? I, this is hard, isn't it? 
Because we all have that person, that group of people, or somebody that we, relationship-wise, we might be struggling with. And we start reading this. It's like, this is why I don't come to church on Sunday, right here. Because then I got to hear this. And then that's why God said, this is why I want you here on Sunday, so you can hear this. Because it needs, something needs to go on in here. Jesus commands us quickly to settle anger and malice with one another. Because if, you know, when we ignore it or pass it off, it imprisons us. It really does. It emotionally imprisons us. Jesus says, first, I want you to admit your anger, okay? And then here's what you, I want you to correct it. Admit it. Now correct it and do it as quick as you can, please. Paul expresses the same idea in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. He says, don't let, the sin, don't let sin, I'm sorry, don't sin by letting anger control you. We've talked about this before. It isn't so much that your anger is a sin. It's what you do with your anger that becomes sin. Don't sin by what? By letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a, the foothold to the devil. Anybody want to give the devil an edge? Like, you know what? I'm going to give the devil a head start in my life. I, I'm going to give the devil a freebie in my life. I mean, seriously, any, any Christian in here want that? I mean, like, no. No, 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 no. If anything, I want the edge on the devil. I want the head start on the devil, right? But when we, do you see what it says? When we let the sun go down while we're still angry and we've got an issue with somebody, we're like, Devil wants you to take a, take a first shot here. It's like, why, why do we do that? It's because we're human, right? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, 14, 15. It says this, work at living in peace with everyone. It's not easy. It's called work, right? You might have to spiritually sweat this one. And work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous roots of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It's because where's what happens. When we let that anger, when we let it take root, it grows and it poisons everybody else. It doesn't just affect you. It affects people around you. We know that an offense between Christians does nothing for God's kingdom. Yet the question is, are we willing enough, are we humble enough to make amends, to seek peace? I believe that when we refuse to seek peace or when we let anger harbor in our hearts, when we walk around feeling like, they're mad at me, I'm mad at them. A lot of people, they stop coming maybe to a Bible study. They stop coming to church. It's like, I'm not, I don't want to be around those people. You know what the scary thing is? We isolate ourselves from the body that we need to be around. That's what the church, the church is a body of believers. And when you start peeling off, saying, I, I don't want to be around these people or I'm, I have a problem, I have an issue, and you peel, it's like, you know what? You're like the, the animals where one leaves the, the pack or the herd. You're an easy target for, for the prey that's out there. When we leave the, the church and we isolate ourselves, we're an easy target for the devil. Easily attacked. The devil wants you to maybe believe that everybody hates you. He wants you to think that there's a problem between you and somebody else. And, and listen, there may be. And maybe there's not. But the result is, is isolation. And, and I started off this morning talking to the worship team. And I need to correct myself because I've been saying this wrong for years. So I apologize to you. 
I've always told the worship team, you're going to lead us in worship, which in a sense they do, okay? But I told them this morning, I need to correct that. The worship team is not up here to lead us in worship. They're here to worship. We get to join in with them as they worship. And as we move forward in this church, I, I pray that that's the way our worship team is, that they just come up here and they worship and we join in. And what a beautiful thing it is to come and worship. And as they worship, we get to worship. And listen, Sunday morning is not a presentation. Sunday morning is not for you to be entertained. Sunday morning is not a pep rally. I know homecoming's going on in a lot of schools right now and there's pep rallies and there's excitement and rah, rah, cheer, cheer. And sometimes a pastor or a speaker will get up here and say some things and pound a pulp and then like, let me hear you say, you know, and whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, let's get fired up. And it's like, but that's not what church is. It's not a pep rally. It's not a thing of entertainment. The church is not that. The church isn't for us. If you came here this morning thinking this is all about you, you and I are in the wrong boat, okay? This is not for us. This is for God. When we came in here today, is this honoring God? When I'm up here before I come up to preach, I'm praying, God, may these be your words, not mine. It's not, I don't want to, it's not about me getting the attention or getting a pat on back. It's about you. The, the selfish uh, human side of me says, I'd like a pat on the back, okay? But it's not. When we enter the doors, some of you enter these doors of this church broken, you come in here experiencing pain, disappointment, maybe even disbelief. Others of you, you come in here all excited. You are full of the Spirit of the Lord and you can't wait to worship. Regardless of why you walked in here this morning, you came in to worship. And we are imperfect people. We are saved by the grace of God. And we enter with thanksgiving knowing this. I don't deserve what I'm getting. I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve the mercies of God. Uh, and I also enter into this place with hope that I have an eternal almighty God who's going to help me in life. Where I am weak, he brings in the strength, his wisdom, his spirit. And I also know this, when I enter into this place, I'm entering into a place of refuge. It's a rough world out there. Sometimes I feel like I get spiritually beat up. You probably do too. You probably like feel a little wounded when you walk into church. This is the place for healing, where you get bandaged up so you can get back out on the front line and serve him. That's why we come and worship. Although we may not fully agree on everything when we come into this church, I think we can all agree that God's grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. Because when we enter church, listen, when we enter a church, we enter together. You can't have church by yourself. We enter together. We worship together. We're the body of Christ. We cannot be hurting one another. I've told you before, it's insane to think if you saw somebody walk around punching himself, that guy's crazy. He's hurting himself. And Jesus says, you're the body of, you're the body of Christ. You're the, you're the church body. Some of your arms, legs, noses, ears. And when you start picking on each other, you're like beating yourself up. That's insane. We're the church. And when you come to this passage, we should honestly look at it for ourselves and not just say, oh, but that person needed to hear this message. No, we, may have, we probably all should stop right now and say, all right, God, in my heart, I don't want to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In my heart, I'm not going to go out there and actually murder somebody, but in my heart, I can get really ticked off and mean, get mean with people. God, what's going on in my heart? I don't want to be that way. I admit it. I, I get frustrated. I get angry. God, help me. I, I don't want people to leave um, 
my Bible study. I don't want people to leave my church. I don't want, I don't want people to leave their faith. It happens all over the world. Because I hear this all the time. Church is full of hypocrites. Hey, newsflash, the world is full of hypocrites, okay? So if you want to say, I'm not going there because they're a hypocrite, you just got to stay at home in your house. You can't even stay there because you're a hypocrite. You know what I'm saying? It's just like we come up with excuses and frustration, like da-da-da, you know, we get all upset. Anyway, as a Christian, we should be the first ones to say, I've blown it. I admit I made a mistake. Listen, you guys know me. I make mistakes all the time. And at first, I'm super embarrassed about it. Then I sort of laugh about it, depending on what it is, okay? And then on, on the times, I share it with you, okay? Just so to remind you that the one who stands before you right now is an imperfect person. We're trying to worship a perfect God, and it's hard. A couple weeks ago, put this text message up on the screen. I get a text message from my optometrist. Hey, you got a, you've got an appointment. I can't remember what it is, September 7th or something like that, a Wednesday. And I'm going, oh, no, um, I can't do that. Why did I schedule that? So I sent them a text back and said, can I reschedule? And they're like, yeah, what works for you? So listen, church, I like to voice text a lot. So I put my phone in a voice text. So I, I put this, this way. I said, Wednesdays, comma, but in the morning, period. Boom, hit send. Didn't even look at it. And then I looked down at my phone, and I'm like, oh, no. What I sent was Wednesdays, but in the morning, poop. <laughs> and then I was like, oops, no, 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 no. I meant, I meant period. I'm... There was a long pause between that one and the next one from them. There was a lot of laughing emojis that came back to me that you're not seeing, okay? But I'm like, oh, Why? Why do I do that? So, if you learned anything out of the sermon, don't voice text without checking before you hit send. Okay, that's, 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 that's the rule. But my point is, I make mistakes, and you guys know that, okay? I'm, I'm quick to say it, but some of my mistakes, I'm not going to put up on the screen. Some of my mistakes that I make in my heart, I'm too embarrassed to share with you. But God points them out to me, and I have to get on my knees and humbly come to him and say, I admit it. I don't want to, I can be like the Pharisees and the scribes. I want you all to think Pastor Rex looks really good, okay? But the truth is, my heart needs help at times too. We all do. We all do. Worship team, would you come forward, please? What matters to God is, is our heart. Church, I will always say, go be the church, right? Yeah. And I want you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But here's the thing. We have to have the heart too. We can go out and do all these wonderful things for our Lord, but he wants our heart first. He wants us to be selfless. He wants us to be right with him. We have to ask God to change these things in here. This, this isn't easy, right? I mean, you're, when we get into these passages, and it's going to be like, you've heard it said, but here's what I'm looking for. Some of us are going to be like, oh, these are going to be it's going to be challenging. Exactly. Remember the ladder, the Beatitudes? The higher you go, it's like you have to strain in your, in your faith journey. It's a challenge. But we are striving to be Christ-like. It's a step-by-step -step growth process. But listen, there is joy in the journey. There really is. It, it's work, but there's so much joy. It takes effort. It's a strain at times. But it is worth it. It is so worth it. So I encourage you, be committed to God's word. He said, I've come to fulfill it. It's all good. I believe him. And live for Christ, that's more than just a little 
checklist on the clipboard. Yep, I acted that way. I acted that way. It's like, why don't you just toss the clipboard, right? Do you, you ever go to the doctor and, and they're like, you're filling out the clipboard with all the symptoms and all that kind of stuff? And you're like, I, I, I guess, I, yeah, maybe, right? Sure. And I can make that look really good. But once I get back in the doctor's office and they hook up all the monitors to me, the truth is shown how I'm really doing in here. God knows. He's hooked up to you. The Holy Spirit's hooked up to you. So there's, there's no reason to try to hide it. Let's just confess it to him. And let's live for him, would you? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and amazing God you are. God, I'm so thankful that you do know our heart, that you, that you can look right in. And, and that's scary because we try to hide it. We try to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious leaders, and we want to look good. But when it comes down to it, it's not about looking good. It's being right with you. It's being right with you. And being right with you means a, a check of our heart. God, examine our heart this morning, right where we're standing right now. Look, look in, into our hearts. Examine our hearts. Lord, prompt us right where we're standing right now. Do we need to pray for forgiveness? Do we need to pray for healing? Do we need to, do we need to just humbly confess what's going on in our lives and then ask for the strength and the courage to make amends with whatever's going on? Lord, I know we, we, we get worried about certain ways that we might get treated. God, I know you're not telling us to be a floor mat for people to step all over and be mistreated. I know there's boundaries we need to set in our life. I understand that, God. But God, there are things in our heart that we just need to seek confession of and get right with you. So God, we, we bring these to you right now. Hear our prayers, Lord. Hear our prayers. Cleanse us, Lord. Renew us. Because we want to live for you. We want to be right with you. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who took away our sins and gave us the opportunity to be right with you, to have a new life, and as we strive to live this life for you, may you be honored, God. May you get all the glory and all the credit. In thy name we pray, amen.